Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. We're starting on page 971. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think this reading was set specially for me. World's best warrior. That is not true. It's for us all, isn't it? Um, So friends, keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, if you can, page 971. And uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get right under work, heavenly, uh, right underway and to work. Heavenly Father, thank you for scriptures. Speak to us through them this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we are in the midst of an anxiety epidemic, is what people say. In 2014, so not that long ago, the phrase, what is anxiety, entered Google's top 10 what is search phrases for the very first time. Now, eight years later, one in nine people will experience a diagnosable anxiety disorder in any one year. That's 7 million people in the UK, nearly 40 million people in the US, close to 3 million Aussies, and about 65 members of St. Matthew's Manly on average. Uh, Dr. Graham Davey, who's um, an emeritus professor at the University of Sussex, he wrote a book called The Anxiety Epidemic. He quotes New York Times um, writer who said this, the silent, actually he said this, the silent epidemic, that's anxiety, has eclipsed the black dog of depression as the major mental health problem worldwide. So we really are in an epidemic. And it seems like it's on the rise and many researchers point to the combination of social media, the internet and smartphones as particularly toxic for our Generation Z folks. That's our, uh, our young people, so keep them in your prayers. And uh, apparently you can detect graphically a growing rise in anxiety from the year 2007 when the smartphone was first introduced, or the iPhone. But the real spike, or the cliff I think it is, came in 2012 when the proportion of people who owned a smartphone first tipped over 50%. Do you know, there is, there is now a thing called smartphone separation anxiety. It's a real thing. 
We love our devices, it seems we love them to death. But of course, anxiety has always been around. My grandmother was a particularly anxious person. She lived till she was 94, but I think she thought she was about to die for, uh, no kidding, the last 60 years of her life. Anxious at everything. And I recall her telling me about the juices that she was blending in, in her late 80s, carrot and celery and ginger to prolong a life that really she was afraid to live. And I also recall thinking, man, when I'm 88, I'm going to be putting donuts and ice cream and chocolate in the blender, you know, <laughs> finish with some fun. But um, I've got anxieties of my own, and close to the top of the list is money. Uh, a week after the Reserve Bank lifts interest rates for the last seven months, you get that letter from the bank in the mail, and you don't even need to open it to know what it says. The monthly repayment just keeps heading north, and it is punishing even if you've allowed some buffer and you combine that with the rising cost of living and food and petrol and schooling and insurance, especially with three teenage sons, it's a real pressure point. And I had a joke in there about thinking, well, you've got to decide which kid you're going to sell to like, you know, do you sell the most annoying one, fetch the least amount of, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I read yesterday that actually it's not a joke because people in Afghanistan are actually doing that for real just to have money for food. And it's all these scenarios, Jesus speaks in his magnificently inconvenient Sermon on the Mount, these words, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. So why should we not worry? How do we not worry? And what should we do instead? They're really the questions for us today. And I'm just going to structure today around... Um, those two real imperatives. The first one is do not worry part, and then we'll look at the seek first the kingdom of God part, and then we'll ground it with some application for today. So firstly, do not worry about your life. What does Jesus really mean by that phrase? And I reckon it actually helps to work out what he's not saying. Just as the previous passage we looked at last week about storing up wealth isn't a crack against the wise saving of money for future living needs, this passage isn't an outright prohibition against forward planning. He's not telling us to be those annoying, like lackadaisical, happy people who never have a worry in the world, because that normally means they take no responsibility for themselves, and they do nothing substantial with their lives, and they contribute nothing to the greater good. I mean, those people seem nice and carefree, but that's usually because they're a burden to others. He's not telling us to be like that. And he's obviously not talking about being unconcerned about the sin in our own lives or the growing estrangement from God of so many people in our society. And he's not telling us to not give a rip about our broken relationships or our failing health or even global issues like climate change and the threat of war. All these things are worthy of our concern, okay? And our action where we can take action. Just wait for the local chapter of the Hells Angels to pass. But he is telling us not to worry about the daily necessities of life and to trust that God will provide for us. So let's read this together from verse 25. In your own Bibles, read along with me. Therefore I tell you, says Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look. At the birds of the air, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? They're very familiar words, aren't they? But I think you need to ask the question initially, what is the therefore in verse 25, therefore? Because Jesus clearly thinks there's a connection between what we're looking at today and what we looked at last week. I guess partly he's acknowledging that, that when you have less stuff, which was the encouragement from last week, then the less our possessions occupy the thoughts of our minds and the devotion of our hearts. You've got less stuff, you devote less time, money, energy, acquiring it and maintaining them and ensuring them and so on. So less stuff, less stuff to worry about. More financial and emotional bandwidth to love God and others. But I wonder if more than that, he's anticipating unspoken objections in his audience. Because sure, there would be rich people in the crowd in Jesus' day who would need to guard their, their lives against the storing up of earthly treasures. But much more common would be the average Joes who struggled to put enough food on the table for themselves and their dependents. You know, there was no social security safety net in that day. In their agrarian economy, they were at the mercy of the elements. They really had a subsistence existence. Their problem was the opposite of our problem, right? We have too many calories, makes us fat. They struggled to get enough calories into them to stay alive. So you can understand why they might worry and why they might be raising an objection in their head. But I, Jesus, he's, on, he's onto something here. He really is. Because money and wealth can become idols in different ways. Obviously, the storing of wealth and the hoarding of material possessions where you don't give very much away at all. But on the flip side, if you don't have wealth and you worry about it incessantly, it's still an idol, isn't it? If you got it, you can be greedy. And if you don't, you can be overly anxious. But either way, you're looking to money to be your functional Messiah, aren't you? Either way, you're putting your trust in something other than God. Either way, you need to be driven by faith instead. So you can see the connection between the two passages. But there's also a really good reason not to worry about your daily needs, what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear. And the main really good reason is that God knows what you need and he will supply. Your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothes. You're worth more than birds. God knows what you need and he will supply. Now, I'm afraid to say that as I've gotten older, I've appreciated birds more. I used to rip into um, bird watchers. I just used to think they were such nerds. But now even I think birds are cool. And you know that sharing question that you have, conversation starter, icebreaker thing, where you say, if you could be any animal, what would you be? And everyone goes, I'd be a dolphin. I'd be microbial bacteria. I mean, no one says that, but <laughs> I would be this, the snowy owl. I mean, they are just beautiful. Look at the yellow eyes. Um, be they are complete gangsters. Man, that is just oh, magnificent. And see... They know how to have a good laugh. So, snowy owl for me. And I reckon the, uh, the Australian kookaburra is sort of the Australian version of the snowy owl. I mean, absolute street thugs, aren't they? Have you noticed this? They just sit there on the tree or the fence. No other birds are game to annoy the kookaburra. They just look at the other birds with intimidation. As if, as if to say, don't come near me. Don't even look at me. 
You do that, I'll pick your eyes out so quickly you won't even know it, and I'll enjoy the doing of it. And then what about their complete maniacal, sociopathic laugh? Absolute street thugs of the Australian bird landscape, and I love them. But I tell you what they're not. They're not stressed, and they're not skinny. They just know there's food around, right? whether it's worms in the ground or whether it's sausages from your barbecue. And Jesus says that it's not just law of the jungle, friends. Worms in the ground and sausages from the grill are ways that God feeds them. But God cares way more about you than he cares about kookaburras. Jesus plays the same game with uh, clothes and flowers. It needs no further elaboration other than to refer to Jesus' main point in verse 30. Have a read with me. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God knows our daily necessities. And the promise of these verses is that he will supply them, which means you don't need to worry. Of course, you and I don't actually believe this, do we? Um, We don't really believe that God is that involved. Uh, We don't think he's able to genuinely make a difference. But what does Jesus say in these verses? He says, look, look at a bird. (laughs) He's saying God's involved in God's economy in the way he's ordered the world. Both the worm and the sausage from the barbecue are ways he ensures Mr. Kookaburra gets his meal. Look at it. He's saying that in God's economy and the way he's ordered the world, our hard work, the hard work and generosity of others, or even a more miraculous provision, are each ways that God ensures you get fed to. So that's great, isn't it? Like a massively positive reason for not worrying about daily necessities. God knows you need and he will send the feed. He knows us and he clothes us. Therefore, do not worry. It's just great. It really is. But he includes two uh, negative reasons why worrying is a faithless response among his people. The first is a logical one just there in verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I mean, if you really want to um, juice carrots and celery, that might add an hour to your life. Pretty unhappy one, I reckon. But worrying, man, what a complete waste of time and emotion. It doesn't contribute anything towards a solution. It just makes you feel bad. Second reason there is in verse 32, but let's pick it up in verse 31. Let's read it together. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So right there, friends, you can see a neat little restatement of the overall principle we've discussed. Don't worry about your daily needs. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But within that, there's a further reason not to worry. The pagans, which I don't think is a nasty way, he's just saying unbelievers, run after these things. Worrying incessantly about daily needs. Like, can you, I reckon you can do this. Can you imagine people, someone frantically running through Warringah Mall in the lead up to Christmas? Some of you are that people, aren't you? Well, that characterizes the citizens of the world, but as citizens of the upside-down kingdom of heaven, we can live differently and distinctively because we've got a heavenly Father and we have every confidence that he will supply. And friends, I really hope 
you find the freedom that comes from trusting God in this way. It's liberating. Just two quick um, further observations before we move on to the shorter second section. The first is that Jesus is not promising luxury goods here. Do you notice he references food, drink, clothing? Do you remember in the Lord's Prayer, that's actually in the same chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we pray, give us today our daily bread, don't we? The simplest of foods. So we're not talking about the choicest foods. We're not talking about the nicest wine. We're not talking about brand name clothes, much less a private home on the northern beaches and a European car or overseas holidays. They're not necessarily wrong, but they are definitely not promised. And so we might need to reconsider our definition of a need and a want. But the other thing to quickly notice is just a very kind touch from Jesus in verse 34. It is so kind, you know, where he says, he returns to the language of worry. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. It's got the, the, the same language as the opening verse. Do not worry, and yet it says something almost the opposite, almost allowing us to worry a little about today. Just a gentle pastoral word after some very inconvenient teaching, advising us not to get ahead of ourselves. Every day he's got difficulties, and he's saying, this man, just worry about the worries of today. Don't get worked up about the worries of tomorrow. Again, that, that line in the Lord's Prayer, give us today, this day, our daily bread. really does seem like a day is the unit of time in God's economy. So let's take his advice on board. Do not worry about your life and do not worry about tomorrow. Well, the second um, thing to look at today comes from verse 33, and it really is actually just verse 33, so we, we should read that together, hey? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So instead of worrying, what are we meant to do? We're meant to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that idea of seeking first, it contains the, like a, the concept of an ongoing energetic quest. It's the sort of thing that, that drives along those horrific Lord of the Rings movies. Now, I, I know that they just go on forever and ever and ever as far as I can tell. And I know some of you love them, you really do, weirdos. But um, I could never get into them because the quest just seemed to go on for so long. I only ever watched the first one. It was in um, the Swiss Cottage Odeon Theatre in North London. And about two and a half hours in, you could hear me muttering to myself, can someone please, for the love of everything good, kill those hobbits. This is intolerable. <laughs> Slay the hairy little men. <laughs> I'm going to die in here. And I must be missing something because I know... Millions of people love these films, including some of you, so my apologies. Please don't walk out. Uh, and I, I wondered to myself, is it the nobility of the quest? Is that why people love these films? Do you know what, friends? There's, there's no more noble a quest than seeking the kingdom of God. But I have to admit, it's not completely obvious what that means. And what does seeking his righteousness add to the equation? How do we seek his kingdom and his righteousness? Well, it seems to me most simply by putting into practice the words of the Sermon on the Mount that we have looked at so far. 
by loving our enemies rather than retaliating, by giving to those in need rather than hoarding wealth for ourselves, by pursuing holiness in our sexual ethics and marriage relationships, by trying to reconcile with people rather than stewing in bitterness and anger, by telling the plain truth, by turning from religious hypocrisy and playing to an audience of one, God alone, by admitting our spiritual poverty and thirsting to live like Jesus, by lamenting our own sin and weakness and hungering for holiness, by copying persecution and praying for our persecutors, by wanting to see God's name honoured in our actions and the witness of our church, by desiring to see his gospel spread in the Northern Territory, right across Asia and across our city and globe, to deeply impact the lives of many by directing our money towards these purposes, by spending our energy leading kids' church or serving on the data desk, by being more protective of Jesus' reputation than our own in our conversations and our online contributions. Let me take a breath. And when you've got to worry about all that, it doesn't leave heaps of space to worry about our daily needs. And that is terrific because the outstanding promise that attaches to our life lived in pursuit of the kingdom of God is that God will look after all the little stuff on our behalf. What does it say? All these things will be given to you as well if our driving ambition is his promotion and glory. Of course, we might need some specific pointers about how we're going to do that, how we do the do not worry thing because... Somehow we've got to put some muscles on a very abstract question of whether, whether you trust God to provide for your needs. I mean, how do we take something as intangible as trusting in God's provision and make it tangible, real? I've got a few thoughts. None of them are revolutionary. Um, none of, it's certainly not exhaustive. But I wonder if today could be a day where you might actually decide to put one of them into practice. Well, the first, first thought, um, first way to not worry about your life, what you eat, drink, wear and live, is to pray. Now, there you go. Not revolutionary at all. And we've already noted in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. How can you entrust yourself to God's provision if you never raise your requests to him in prayer? He knows our needs, but he still likes to hear our prayers because we're in a relationship with him after all, right? Not, a, not a, a legally enforceable contract. You might remember we considered a verse a few, um, I don't know, weeks, months ago from 1 Peter 5, which says, Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. You might even know Philippians 4, 6. Great, great verse to memorize, right? When you're in a fix, remember Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about everything, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pr present your requests to God. And my goodness, how about this? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Many of us know that as a lived reality in our lives, don't we? So this verse starts in the same place, doesn't it? With worry and anxiety and fear but after presenting your request and thanksgiving to God it ends with the transcendent peace of God that guards our hearts and our minds so do not worry pray to your provider and peace will follow 
Perhaps another way to put into action the two imperatives in this passage, do not worry, seek first the kingdom, is to work hard at the work that God has put before you. It seems to me that if you work hard, you will very likely have less need to worry about your daily needs as you'll be able to provide for yourself, but even better, you will be part of the way that God will provide for the needs of brothers and sisters who are struggling in a variety of ways. Now you think about this. Cheeky sausage from a barbecue is part of the way God provides for the kookaburras. The provision that he blesses you with is part of the way God provides for Christian brothers and sisters in all kinds of needs. So don't worry, but work hard. And I know that work can very easily become an idol for us. But there is not a single place in scripture where laziness is a virtue. Not even one. And the final wafer today, which you'll not be surprised at all um, to hear me say this, is to give money away. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of the world, you won't do this. I don't think. You'll be certainly less inclined to give money away because you'll be thinking to yourself, I never know when I might need this to provide for my needs. But if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then you've got a heavenly father who already knows your needs and who values you more than flowers and birds, although... Man, they are handsomely provided for, aren't they? And that means you can give. And giving is one of the ways that we can take the, ant- the intangibility of trust in God and-, and make it very tangible. I mean, you will feel it, especially if you're doing it properly, by which I mean sacrificially. And you will feel blessed by it, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. At least that's what Jesus tells us. And when you give money away, right, you're not only putting flesh on the intangibility of trusting God, you're contributing to the kingdom of God in a very real way. You're on that quest, the noblest quest of them all. Your money can support a theological college in Singapore that trains godly men and women to spread the good news about Jesus right across Southeast Asia. I mean, how exciting is that? Your money can support Naomi in the Northern Territory or Neville Naden right across this brown land or evangelism in Austria, or an orthopedic hospital in the Congo, or translation work in Cambodia, or gospel ministry right here at St. Matthew's on the Corso in Manly, the most walked-upon stretch of pavement in the country. I really hope that's true. (laughs) It's very hard to fact-check it, but I've heard that that's true. It's certainly a busy place, isn't it? So don't worry, pray. Don't worry, work. And don't worry, give. Friends, we live in an epidemic of anxiety. And these words are not just for you, Suze. They are for us all. And there's certainly no shame in anxiety if that's something you experience because it's one in nine of us, right? But when it comes to our daily needs, what we eat and drink and wear and live, We have a Heavenly Father who knows us and clothes us, who loves us and feeds us and who invites us to replace our worry with a concern for His kingdom and righteousness and with the promise that what we need will be added unto us and that a peace that passes human understanding will guard us. He is a good, good Father who presides over a magnificent kingdom that will last forever And that is worthy of our trust, our prayers, our energy, and our coin. Friends, that's our kingdom calling. And as I seek to live it 
in my life with all my heart. I heartily commend it to your life too. Let's pray to finish up. Heavenly Father, we love the idea of not worrying. And we ask that you might help us not to worry about those daily needs because we know that you supply. And not only that, that you've called us on a quest to seek first your kingdom, to be more concerned about you and the promises that you will supply everything else that we need. So look, let, let that become a lived reality in our life this week. And we do pray that we might live in a way that brings honour and glory to you and to your magnificent Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.